0: See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com.
1: If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know, after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, and where the Wi Fi password is. Rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.
2: You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network.
0: This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge.
1: All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women.
0: Both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of
2: Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight, won't steer you wrong. Johnny Appleseed himself. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. All right, back at it again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode, guys. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the process, enjoying the time out in the field. If you're getting it, I hope you're getting out in the field. Uh, I'm trying to make do with what I can here. Uh, it's, uh, it's an exciting yet somehow stressful time if you make it that way Um, self-inflicted for sure most of the time I'm overthinking this and thinking I gotta get it done I gotta kill a deer I gotta shoot the buck I gotta shoot the buck that I wanna kill I'm after these deer yada 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 and guess what at the end of the day it doesn't really matter Uh, I'm slowly learning that here it's gonna take some bricks on my head I think but I'm slowly learning that the process and the pursuit is way more fun than the actual kill and I have noticed that you know as I'm recording this I still haven't uh, haven't filled my buck tag hopefully by the time this episode releases I will but you know I've I thought this the other the other week when I passed a buck up it was a buck that got me excited but as it came closer I realized it was not a deer I wanted to shoot and uh, you know it occurred to me like this is fun I don't want to be done just yet so you know whatever happens this season i've had a great season i've been i've been blessed i've been thankful for the time in the woods with the people that i got to spend with i'm hoping for more opportunities with some other hunting friends and uh i've been blessed to tag some great animals and i I hope that you guys have that same mentality that anything that happens at this point is a bonus and uh you know keep positive it's it's easy to get frustrated the rut is very boom or bust as as i've I've said before, and I'll say again, I mean, you can be in the heat of it one day and, uh, you know, cold as ice the next, but just enjoy it. It comes once a year, guys, this time of year, this end of October, beginning of November, uh, chasing, seeking phase of uh, whitetail hunting that so many of us love and crave, you're living it. You know, this is a time you took vacation for, you allotted time and planned for, and uh, enjoy it regardless of what happens. You know, there, there's so many other worse things you could be doing than chasing whitetails. So enjoy it while it lasts. And uh, speaking of enjoying the process and just going with the flow and adventure, this week's guest is somebody who does just that on a regular basis. And uh, we, we uh, he shares some of those trips and plans and crazy things that's been happening. I'm talking about Dan Collins from Hardway Outdoors. And Dan, as we, uh, as we record this, it was leading into the beginning of the season. And we kind of catch up with some of the trips that he's been doing. He just came back from guiding fishing in Alaska, which sounded like a blast. And we we touch base on that. And then we get into hunting season. We talk about what he had planned for opening weekend and the first few days of the bow season. But Dan has a couple trips planned out this year. The first trip he had planned was a mule deer hunt out west and if uh, if you haven't taken notice they had a very successful mule deer hunting trip you should check out his youtube channel he's got the videos posted and he also was planning on uh he drew a kansas whitetail tag that he was planning on go out going out to kansas this year and hunting for so he's got some windows which he can hunt pennsylvania and Those windows that we're talking about on this episode fit really well with this time of year and what he's looking for, how he's going about it, but he's ultimately looking for a couple things, relying on the cameras he out, had out in the summer, the knowledge of the past, and he's rolling with it. And we're going to talk about what specifically in terrain features and, uh, you know, the the timing of things that he likes for some of these places. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty of that. But what I love about this episode is it's very much let's enjoy the process, let's enjoy the hunt. And, uh, you know, of course, go with our best foot forward with all the knowledge we have, but realize that it's hunting, not killing. So, great episode with Dan. I hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Great, great channel. Uh, He does a good job. He's done it for a long time. So, uh, really good content coming from Dan. And uh, let's get to this episode. Right before we do, quick shout out to our sponsors, Radix Hunting. Guys, in my opinion, some of the better trail cameras that I have out now, I actually, a few years ago, I'm not going to name the company, but a few years ago when I shot that uh, really good buck, I won uh, a, a trail camera. I, run, I won a uh, a cell camera, and I've now used it for a few years, and I've always noticed that it struggled, right? I, I noticed I was missing things I didn't think I should have been, and just see, the other night I had a buck, I watched him come in and work a mock scrape and never got his picture sent to my phone and that was frustrating i can tell you i have had nothing but positive things to say from my radix cameras the image quality the <clears throat> the, the response time from the cell cameras uh, the ease of setup the customer service everything about the radix setup i have been thrilled with from the camera perspective make sure you check out the stick and pick camera accessories being able to hang your camera on any tree any post anywhere anytime with their uh, very very easy to manipulate bracket system and check out their tree stands and all the other hunting accessories available uh, made available at radixhunting.com and hey let's get to this episode with Dan Collins So joining me today on this week's show on the phone with me is Dan Collins from Hardway Outdoors. Dan, what's going on? Not much, Mitchell.
0: Just I uh, got done scouting here and sitting out and trying to get better service and to do the podcast. But it's a little chilly this evening, full moon, and the leaves are changing colors, you know. It's beautiful here this time of year.
2: Yeah, it's making you and feel like insane. it's it's that time. It's that time. Yeah, you're playing catch up on the scouting game because you were uh, you're away for quite a while, weren't you?
0: Yep, uh, did two months in Alaska uh, guiding fishing trips up there. Uh, but I was fortunate to I I got some uh, trail, a lot of trail cameras hung before I left, so now I actually have some some intel to go off of, and then now this whole like week and two weeks before the season i've just been growing on that and adding more cameras and doing more
2: scouting off of summer intel my cameras got while i was away fantastic i want to hear a little bit more about alaska so you were gone for like two months you said and you were guiding fishing trips how did that even come about so back in 2018 i uh i met this guy
0: named pete horger and uh there's probably, whoever's listening to this, I'm sure there's somebody out there, maybe 30 people that know Pete. I mean, it's, he's just a social butterfly, we call him. Everybody knows Pete, but I met him in college in 2018 for like two days. I held a, a fly fishing competition, uh, for a bunch of colleges in Pennsylvania and he came to it and, uh, kept in touch with him. And then I don't know, f- flash forward, I start my own guiding business here in Pennsylvania and he reached out that they needed some guides up in Alaska at this lodge, and, and that's how it pretty much came to be. I uh, went up this year for the first year up there, so... And
2: tell me about that experience, guiding people in Alaska. I mean, first of all, you had to see things that you couldn't have ever imagined you would see in your in your wildest dreams when you compare to central Pennsylvania, but I mean, tell me about the day-to-day up there when you were doing that.
0: Yeah, so the once we once we started getting uh guests coming into the lodge it'd be like groups of maybe about 12 to 15 people um pick them up at the airport and then we take uh the boats up to the lodge about eight eight miles upriver on the the unalaklete river and uh get them all settled in that'd be a sunday and then and then uh monday is is starting to the guide fishing trips you know and Um, mostly, this was mostly through late July and August, uh, focusing on the silver salmon, the cohos, that's like the big draw for that lodge and that river, uh, that they average about eight, nine pounds. Sometimes you sneak in an 11, um, but great, great fighting fish, but yeah, just running, running jet boats with, with two guests and, and you get back to the lodge and, uh then you fillet their fish, put it in boxes and uh and there's like a little cocktail hour every night you go and socialize and uh get, make a plan for the next day, you know, but and that's just kind of on repeat uh week in week out, so
2: what uh what were some of the highlights for you? I mean, obviously going away and doing that, I mean, I know you enjoy fishing and being in that in setting was probably pretty awesome but was there any specific highlights that you really enjoyed in that time up there
0: the the fishing was was phenomenal I I loved every second of that Uh, but my favorite part was just the camaraderie and the whole crew up there just amazing amazing people to work with it's I've worked in environments where you're kind of like a seasonal crew before and um, sometimes you get like one bad little one bad you know, person in there and it throws off the whole thing and just kind of makes it drag on everybody. But this, this crew was unbelievable. So awesome. And uh, that just makes it easier for everybody. You make friends for a lifetime and just was treated so well by, by everybody there. That's, that's what was the biggest takeaway for me is you can't ask for more than that. No matter how good the fishing is or anything, it's what the crew that makes it. So it was good.
2: Now, did you make any connections for future trips for yourself, whether that be hunting or fishing?
0: Uh, I, I had some uh, guests offer me to uh, come to the like, ranches in Texas and and uh, go hunt and go hunting stuff. Uh, but other than that, pretty much everybody was from the south. Uh, I would hand out business cards and my like, contact information if they wanted to if they were ever in Pennsylvania. But it, everybody was. Southern it seems, so I don't know how many of them i'll I'll get to see in Pennsylvania, but
2: right, right, well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad you got that experience, but now we're back to Pennsylvania, and you know leading into this this season uh preparation and and everything else the you know the heightening up for the season. Um, I wouldn't mind stepping back a little bit and just letting you introduce yourself. Like I'm, I'm kind of curious how you got started with your YouTube channel and guiding and everything else that you do. That's you know all outdoors related. Right? Yeah, man.
0: Um. So the I've hunted and fished my whole life, and I kind kind of what got me to to pick up the camera was really we were talking before you started recording about Leatherwood Outdoors and uh this was like 2010 or something i i you know just i was 7th eight, 8th grade watching the leatherwood guys and uh them doing shane reed ryan toast doing the recurve hunting which is what i've done my whole life my dad got me into that and i was like i'm going to try filming and filmed on an ipod touch for like two or three years edited on my ipod touch mm. and I mean, just really not, not good footage. And, but it, it, it was cool to me. I mean, I didn't care what the quality or anything was. It was just fun for me to film it and just put it out there. could care less what happened to it, you know, who watched. And, uh, then it was like, all right, let's try to upgrade the camera. So I got like a $200 camera from Walmart and started filming on that. And, and it just kind of just super, super slow growth. Uh, but it's, it's, it's get getting somewhere. I don't know, but uh just kept keeping at it and uh, got another nicer nicer camera a couple of years ago. And then quality's just gotten better from there. But it's I, I've never put too much effort into it. It's just something I like to do. I'm I'm not doing it to to be famous or like make, let, like I'm the greatest hunter. or I'm not trying to like shed that light on me. I just film it because that's like my journal. I just like filming it and watching it. And I love the, the com- camaraderie of hunting. Uh, like we talked before, um, you started recording about the, like the hunting camps in Pennsylvania and that, like that camaraderie you get. I love that kind of feeling, but I, I'm always hunting alone. It, it seems throughout archery. So, you know, it's definitely just geared. My YouTube channel is just like, although I'm alone. I can film it and still be able to share it and get that camaraderie aspect out of it uh, with with uh, people I know and people I don't know. And I make new friends off that we talk on the videos and Instagram. And so it's, it's cool that
2: I can it's turned into like a community in a way. Certainly now the the name Hardway Outdoors. Tell me a little bit about how that name come up because when I when I think of Hardway Outdoors and the name, like, there's got to be meaning behind that. Like, I think about uh, my friend John Kolb who has the the Suffering Outdoors channel. Uh, you know, he he's got meaning behind that that name, Suffering Outdoors. And I'm curious what yours is.
0: Yeah, so I've hunted with a traditional bow my whole life, and uh, and fly fish. So it's, to me that was like the, the hard way to, to do things was to traditional bow hunt and fly fish so that's how the name kind of came about um I, there's a actually another youtuber who who doesn't do it anymore his name is justin clee he, he had a youtube channel uh it's called outdoor pride and uh me and him became friends through youtube when we both started at the same time in like 2011 And uh, I was, like, talking to him one day. I just, like, pulled him this name, Hard Way Outdoors.
2: And he's like, dude, that's, like, that totally fits you. That works. So I ran with it. (laughs) Nice, nice. And, like, one of those things that, like, I grew up with a compound in hand. Like, I shot... I've shot my fair share of recurves and long bows, but like the first bow that I ever picked up was like one of those old bear, like the ones people would call a wheel bow, but it was like a, you know, 25 pound little compound bow. And that was the first thing I ever picked up. And I used to shoot it with, you know, just the shelf and practice that and work my way up through, but I never really got used to shooting, um, stick bows and stuff. And have you have you picked up a compound like at all in your life, or you've pretty much just been all the way stick bow your whole life?
0: I my dad owns some old compounds, he was a compound hunter until like the early 90s, I believe. Uh, and then, he, so like that was where like we have like three or four compounds uh, at the house that uh, are from that time frame, really old ones. <laughs> Mm. Uh, I, I've, I've shot them a couple of times and then, uh, I'll go to like bow shoots or a 3D course with my friends at shoot compound and, you know, you talk them into a little, talk them into it a little bit and they let me shoot it. Uh, and, and so I have shot a, the, like the newer, uh, today modern world compounds, but I've only owned recurves. My dad has a collection of 80, probably up to 80 longbows, recurve self bows. And that's just how I grew up and, I, I love it. It's, I have nothing against uh,
2: whatever you want to do. I don't care how you hunt. It's just how I like doing it is
0: with a recurve or a longbow, you know.
2: Sure, and I've heard a lot of people say that exact same thing. Like, it's just one of those things that becomes ingrained in them. Like, you know, certain points in your life, you know, I think you're most impressionable, and for whatever reason, that's, that's what's going to leave its lasting mark on you, and the case in point would be traditional archery and such. I, I'm kind of curious, like, how do you – um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different topics about shooting method and aiming and such like, do, do you shoot instinctively or do you use different aiming methods? Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So growing up, I've, I've always shot instinctive through until about uh, like a year ago. Um, and then I started shooting more. It's called like gap shooting or, or aim it. It's more of an aim. Like I don't have sights i kind of you just referenced off of the, the tip of your arrow at full draw mm-hmm. and that that has really helped me tremendously because i battled target panic for a, a number of years um just not be able to anchor up hit full draw at times you know physically you could i could do it but once you put a target in front of me and i knew I, that arrow was gonna fly i just had i really struggled so me for Kind of ditching the instinctive and going more to aiming has really forced me to focus on, on full draw, anchoring up, and, and aiming my shot. Um, so that I've now like i uh, I've now switched to the aiming method. I guess is a uh, I forget I don't know like, the terminology <laughs> of it.
2: Right, right. Well. And speaking of target panic, I mean, that's something that I I feel like everybody has it to a certain degree. It's just a matter of how much have you done, how well of a job have you done in suppressing the beast in in a manner that you can control your shot. Like, I've listened uh, lately this year, I listened to different podcasts that Joel Turner's been on, Shot IQ, and his philosophy and the mental game behind shooting really opened my eyes to, like, things that... It like in the back of my mind, I understood, but I didn't, I never thought about it in that context. And like when it came to like target panic, I always tried to cure it with like some kind of mechanism, like a mechanical means. Like I started shooting with my compound. Right, I had an index finger and I was punching the heck out of that trigger and I couldn't break that. So, how did I break it? Well, I learned to shoot like a hinge release back tension. I shot that forever. And I'll never forget like, I was shooting it for so long and I was getting patient with it, getting used to it. And I thought, I'm going to go back to my index trigger. And like, it didn't take me long. I was punching the trigger again and it was a mental blockade. And it took so long to mentally train myself. And I'm still learning new things to like mentally prepare myself under pressure um but like i said for the longest time was like mechanical means so like you talked about switching your aiming was was switching your aiming one of the things that really helped the most like combat that or were there other things that you were doing to try to help combat uh target panic from an instinctive shooter's perspective because in my mind like the way i think about beat breaking target panic like i've got so many i can't i keep thinking the same word like mechanisms or let off or release age or things that help that. But with, with shooting with your fingers and, you know, a a stick bow and stuff like to me, that always seemed even harder and like more amplified. So I'm just curious, like the approach.
0: Yeah. So first of all, it's motivation. (laughs) I mean, last, last year, I missed three bucks with my, with my longbow. And that was, you know, going into that season, that was the best I've ever shot in my life. Um, and that, and I missed three bucks. So, and then, so that was just the biggest kick to me to, all right, you got to buckle down and, and, and figure this out before next fall. And, uh, my good friend, Chris Tanzos, like really helped me with it. He's like this, you're the, you're a good hunter, uh, but you, you can only do so much scouting. It doesn't matter how much you scout and put deer in front of you. You need to get your shot dialed in, you know, I understand that for for sure. I've always practiced and I wouldn't walk in the field if I wasn't confident with my bow. Uh, but it was just kind of that extra push to really dial in my craft, I guess. And, uh, I mailed a, mailed a bow up to Alaska and I shot that, I shot like every day, like two or three times a day up there as much as I possibly could. And, uh, just constant repetition, building up more strength. Just get it, holding it, holding my, uh, holding it full draw for as long as I possibly could and letting down slowly and just building up a lot more strength. And that, that really helps. I dropped the, uh, the weight of my bow down from 55 to 45 and now built that strength up. Now I'm shooting 55 again and just to- totally got, getting all of it and anchoring up and everything. Um, but it, once I overcame uh, just kind of the I don't want to say like weakness of drawing the bow once I just built up more muscle mass I, that's what was kind of like the, the, the barrier I, that I broke through and then it just became fi- figuring out each bow that I've shot like where where do I have to aim at 15 or 10 or 20 yards where do I need that to be and it was if I just do the same thing every time, hit full draw. It's I just need to figure out where this bow is shooting now, and we're good to go. You know.
2: Yeah, the uh, you know, talk about the hard way for sure. Like I'm thinking about the the different weapons we have available to us when it comes to archery hunting. Um, I know people this year who literally sighted their crossbow in a day or two before the season. Their broadhead shot good. Okay, I'm ready to go, and they went hunting. And, like me, that baffles me because I spend so many like you know weeks, usually, sometimes even months, preparing you know, with making sure that my my compounds tuned the way it needs to be, and tuning my arrows and my broadheads and everything else and and practicing. but I can be honest with you, I usually don't shoot every day. Um, and I can still get away with shooting very good, thirty, forty yards. You know, have high confidence that I'm going to put put a killing shot on. And n- then you go into something like what you're doing. Like it's just, it's just everything's amplified. I mean, you're you're talking about a condensed range. You're talking about you know, missing out on your muscle memory by a day or two can be majorly impactful.
0: Right. Yeah. When, I know like once we started uh, getting into a little more guiding and, and, and through August, I, I was shooting less. Uh, so it was, and then getting home in in September a couple of weeks ago, it was like getting just back into it. It didn't take me long, but I could definitely tell that little hiatus of not shooting, uh, did not help. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just doing it every, every day. I've shot every day this week. Um, gonna shoot tomorrow and the next day and uh just i'll shoot under the, the the house lights all season this year and just keep it all fresh and dialed in you know I, I always try to take i always bring a target with me and i throw it like in the parking lot or wherever i'm hunting and fling a couple of arrows before i even go out in the field too
2: mm-hmm. just so my first shot first shot of the day isn't at a deer <laughs> right if you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil you need to check out Vitalize Seed Company. Vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their one-two planting system. This system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically, optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way God intended. Reduce your inputs, build your soil, and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area. Find out more about this system and get your seed at VitalizeSeed.com and be sure to check them out on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second generation camera from the Gen series line. With premium video and audio recording capabilities, This product has become well respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen Series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick and pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania, and have a peek. Now, back to the show. That's a good thing yeah. to do, and I think a lot of us should be able to do that because it's a good thing to it's a good thing to work on again, building that muscle memory. So, shifting gears a little bit and, and leading into the season, you know, as we're recording this, we're leading right up to the beginning of season. But as as people are listening to this, we're going to be in season, and. I'm curious, like, the way your year looked out leading up to hunting season. Walk me through your planning and preparation to how you're going to focus on your season. Uh, I mean, for, first of all, you knew you were going to be gone two months, which meant you weren't going to be doing any scouting. The scouting you were going to be doing was was through the cameras that you put out. So tell me your mindset of the cameras you placed out, and how are you using that information for your season Um, are you looking at certain windows throughout the season? You know, what's, what's your hunting schedule going to be like that sort of thing? Right. Yeah. So, uh, these, I'm mostly focused on these like three areas,
0: um, and and they're large areas, but I'll just, we'll call them a, B and C, I guess. And the, this will be my second year hunting a and B, uh, C is, is kind of a new one, I guess I hang, I hung cameras in it last year and had really good results. So now it's on the radio radar. Um, so it's really, uh, I'm going off of old camera data. That's, that's huge to me and relating it to to weather and wind and everything. I'll look, look up the wind and everything and, and the past weather data of that day when I got a specific picture of a deer and everything. So that's more, more kind of, uh, the bulk of my thought process going into the season is like what areas were kind of ha- happening on a certain time frame and weather, I guess. And then uh, my cameras I put out uh, this year is just kind of gauging what, what bucks made it. Cause if I see a familiar face and can kind of figure out what he was doing last year, uh, he, you know, maybe there's a chance of doing the same thing this year. So that's kind of like the, what I'm going for with, with placing my cameras in the summer and maybe seeing who, who else is around. It's, uh, so, um, but other than that, uh, yeah, so like, uh, opening day, uh, I have, so spot C that I mentioned that I did not hunt last year, but I had a camera in there for some reason. Uh, at the end of September and first week of October, this one, I hung it over just a scrape that I found. Um, and this location was littered with the giant bucks in daylight. And I have no, no clue why. I mean, it was just a typical, typical weather, you know, 50 to 70 degrees, just typical wet, just typical early October, late November weather, nothing, no weather or anything. It was my only camera that really did good that time frame. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of, I haven't been in there yet. I have, I put a camera in there before I left, but I'm just gonna go right in there and hunt that all day, uh, opening day and just, cause there was enough mature bucks using that there, there might be a chance, uh, they could be doing it on the same program this year. So I'm gonna just go in there and, and find out. <laughs>
2: Like, uh, talking about hunting all day it's not something you hear a lot of people talk about in the early season talk a little bit more about that what's making you feel that hunting it all day is worth your time investing it
0: yeah so the the camera the camera data and my own personal data of, of me hunting and past camera data of any time of year you have no there's really no telling when a buck is going to walk by uh yeah, sunlight, sunrise, and and sunset. You you see deer movement more, but I get so many pictures of big bucks at like nine, ten, noon, one, two 8 p.m. It's you have you really don't have an idea. And so it, I'm just gonna put all my time in unless the wind wind switches, and I don't like the wind for some reason. Um, and then I I'll, I'll, I would bounce out of there. But uh, the plan is to. Just sit it the whole way through the day, just, just because you you really never know when something's going to happen.
2: Well, the uh, the wind topic too—that's that's one I struggle with. I mean, I've heard so many different philosophies on on the wind. I mean, I I pay attention to the wind a lot. I'm always trying to think of what's going to be my best my best option. But are the places you're hunting, or do you have? an array of wind opportunity for you to access in and out of a location like that? Or is there anything that stands out as this place is saying maybe they were, they were using this in daylight so much because there was such a wind advantage for them. Like I'm, I'm thinking like, what's, what's going to keep you from having to deviate from opening day plans of, you know, wind direction, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have, I'm always
0: constantly paying attention to the wind, and the wind forecast and, and, and everything and trying to gauge, you know, what there's, there. I have a bunch of spots I can hunt on a certain wind and spots that work on a couple of different winds and spots where you need like that one specific type, you know. Um But like for this specific spot I'm talking about, it's just like a, a really, really good pinch point where the the deer have to walk through if they're coming through they have to walk through this scrape and uh if my wind is blowing in that travel whether either if they're going from point a to point b or point b to point a uh if my wind crosses that in any way i'm gonna have to, to get out of there um So it will, I mean, I, it's not set in stone that I'm going to hunt it. It's just, I ideally I would like to hunt it, but if there's a, the wind for the tree I have picked out, isn't going to pan out, then I got to, I'm going to bounce to plan B or something. So it's all situational. It's all a huge guessing game. Any, you can know as much as you want about white tails, but you're never at the biggest advantage. You know, it's, it's the cards are always in their favor. So you're playing chess and, uh, Typically, you lose. It's Certainly. just a huge guessing game. So, it's, it's a big guessing
2: game. Oh, it definitely is. And it's a big guessing game that we like to overthink all the time. Um, and, you know, that, that's one, one of the things I've learned – In doing a podcast and getting people's philosophies and coming up with these ideas, like, it makes me overthink everything I do. Like, there's so many times where I need to step back and be like, Mitchell, you know how to hunt. You know what you need to do. Just go do it and stop stop questioning yourself. Go with your gut in it. But right. uh, w- one thing I was wondering too, so you talked about this opening day spot in the early part of the season, this spot C was really, really good. So is, to, you know, with that information in mind, let's keep think- all things considered. Does that mean you'll be fairly aggressive in how you approach that the first few days in season? and you, And to tailor that, question you'd said about you had a tree picked out do you have multiple trees picked out that you can does this set up in a way that you can hunt um maybe cheat a couple winds and just bounce from one tree to the next within 20-30 yards to try to cheat the wind a little bit and will you be fairly aggressive or is this one of those things where you're going to hold back and wait until you get the perfect wind in that first 10 days and throw a sit at it
0: No, I'm just gonna be totally
2: aggressive with it. I do have probably three
0: trees there uh, that are huntable, Um, uh, and then I could do two different, a couple different winds with those. So if I climb the one tree and the wind switches, uh, if it's in the favor of the other trees, I will then climb them and ride the rest of the day out. Um, And what was what else were you asking?
2: yeah i was just kind of wondering how you would you would approach that from the uh like if you'd be aggressive the first day and and bounce around from tree to tree and be the wind if you would just wait back until you got what you'd consider the perfect wind in the first few days and then hunt and i don't know what your hunting schedule's like that first week
0: right yes i'm just i'm gonna go just super aggressive and get right in there uh and ideally just go right at it and uh and 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 hope for the best i uh, i do have a trail camera in there and i'll be able to pull that card and, and see what's kind of going on uh recently and then make kind of make a decision if i want to hunt that again maybe on monday or something um but i really don't have much time that that next friday so the, is we're we're going out west to hunt mule deer for like 10 days so uh i'll be like out of pennsylvania <laughs> Um, for the better part of October. Gotcha. And you'll then, be returning uh, when? Uh, probably the 20 something, 20 something of October. It, it's like when it's starting to get a lot better in the, mm. in the deer wood. That's my, my favorite time frame is mid to late October. Um, and, uh, and then I, I also drew a Kansas deer tag this year too. So I'm trying to work that into the rut. <laughs> uh, so t- the past couple of years I've been really picky in Pennsylvania in both Um, But I don't know how, if I, one gets me fired up pretty good and he's, he's, he's a good looking buck, you know, I, I probably won't hold back this year. So I can spend some time in, in Kansas.
2: Nice. So walk me through. So let's, let's go with this philosophy. Let's just say you go with this, uh this process at spot C, this opening week strategy and for whatever reason, it just doesn't pan out for whatever reason. It, you just didn't see the deer you happened or the, the, the wind screwed you or something along those lines, and we're going to be going out west uh, doing a western hunt and coming back. Walk me into your mentality leading into that next phase of the season. You're going to be approaching that that you know last third of October when you'll be here. You had mentioned that you were, uh, you know, you already, that's your favorite time to be, be in the deer woods. You know, I can relate to that. So walk me through your, your, your spots and your approach leading into that part of the year. Right. So that's uh, kind of, it's getting to be more of the rut time
0: frame. It's still late October, but you're still going to see bucks checking, checking and working scrapes more and, and scent checking does. So I kind of considered as I turned into a doe hunter, even though I, I'm not going to Target a doe. The the bucks are starting to turn into doe hunters too. So if you're both hunting does, you're gonna you're more inclined to run into a, a buck. You know. um So that's kind of how my gears kind of switch as October goes on, and finding where the does are, where they're bedding, where they're feeding, and uh, find it. Hopefully finding some scrapes around around that, and then hunting the downwind side of those scrapes. Um. that's 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 kind of the 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 what goes through my head and then as you get into november i'm hunting more more funneled areas i mean i since i'm using a a traditional bow i have to have deer close so i'm always i'm always focused on some sort of pinch point that's like the number one factor i need every inch i can get and yard i can get on on a deer to be closer to my tree so uh once the bucks really start kicking in and moving more in the daylight, uh, just finding paths of least, least resistance and, and where they feel comfortable to travel downwind to doe bedding areas, uh, leeward sides of the ridges, you know, possibly where a, a ditch meets the, the ridge in a way that really seems to funnel bucks down. And so I'm, I'm always focused on those pinch points. That's my best friend in the, in the bigger woods. <laughs>
2: Talking about, uh, talk about doe groups and and hunting doe, the areas that you're hunting A, B, and C, do you have a pretty good handle from a historic basis of where doe groups like to congregate or how are you finding those doe groups in order to then lead you to, you know, something following behind them?
0: Yeah. So it's mostly, uh, a lot of walking, (laughs) uh, kick up does and then you walk it again, you kick up does or something in the same spot like all right that's that's two times three times now i've kicked up those there uh that's now on my radar that if i know that i can go in here and see those almost every time a buck also knows that so that that's kind of the mindset that i have is either where, where i'm if i'm shed hunting in the spring in the early spring or or hanging trail cameras anytime i'm out in the woods i'm always trying to hone in on where does are i'm always putting a pin down if i see a group of does um and that's how i've had a lot of in the last year that's how i had a great success is figuring out where the does were and uh then the
2: the bucks came with that so once end of october and november rolled around so am i following you correctly that like in the in this big wood setting that you're hunting are you finding that on a on a yearly basis from shed hunting season to turkey hunting season or whatever, you're still finding some consistency in the areas that are holding those doe groups, or do you see that fluctuate throughout the season? Uh, It it definitely fluctuates from
0: now until November, um, just because of the the leaves on the trees. Once you lose those leaves, they definitely get sucked into a little bit thicker areas, you know, uh, grapevines, clear cuts, uh, stuff like that so it's knowing where those areas are that are still thicker um even with no leaf cover those those are the main focus for me that's where i find a, a lot of doe bedding mm. and and the buck a buck the a mature buck they they're always in in some sort of cover anyway they they don't like to come out in the open often so it's it 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 works both ways you know you're going to be in some doe bedding and deer bedding in general, uh, on any sort of edge or, or, or thicker cover with, with no leaves, um, and then running the bucks that way. So.
2: Oh, certainly, certainly. So what do you think is going to be your goal this year? I know you had said earlier that you think that, you know, any buck that gets you excited is going to go, but I mean, what, what exactly do you, do you envision that, or do you have any specific goals or, um, objectives that you'd like to accomplish out the season. I mean, I think we all set them to some degree. Uh, I'm kind of curious how what your mentality is going into this PA season.
0: Uh, man, just just to take in and
2: and learn as much as I possibly
0: can. That that's always always been my goal. And, and tr- being a traditional archer, that it helps me. You know, that since I'm at a more of a disadvantage, I, I don't get as many as many deer as other archers, archery, archery hunters. Um, so it forces me to, to learn more. Um, and that's another aspect of traditional archery that I love. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank. I get, I get uh, a sidetracked.
2: Oh, you're like me. You get, you, uh, you start thinking about something and then you go, did I leave the stove on? Yeah. And I do it (laughs) all, do it all the time. So, you know, you were talking about my, go ahead, my goals. My goals, my goals for the season. Yeah. yeah so
0: I, I, uh, I haven't got a deer with my bow since I think 2019. And, uh, I got two doe tags. So it's, I would, the first week of the season, uh, all, all of next week, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to try for a doe mostly just to just kind of get that back into me, you know, shooting an arrow at a deer and, and, and we, where I'm currently at, it's just littered, absolutely littered with does. It's seriously a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many vehicle collisions. Uh It makes hunting the rut very difficult because there is so, so many does. Every buck has a doe. They don't have to cruise around. So it's, it's making a very tough atmosphere to, to, to bow hunt in, having so many does. And you think big woods in Pennsylvania, it's like, there's no more deer. Uh, there's where, where I'm at is they're like raccoons. (laughs) Mm. It's insane. It is absolutely insane how many does are here. Um, and it, I don't, I, to me, it's not, uh, uh, all of them look very healthy. It's a very healthy herd. They have plenty of food to, to have that size of a herd. Um, but like I mentioned, the vehicle collisions and then, uh, risking, uh, Disease and stuff, you know. So I, it's it's uh I'd like to take a, a doe or two out and just kind of balance it out. Just kind of do my part of helping the ecosystem because to I've I I've passed up does for a, a long time in archery mm. and uh, so
2: it, yeah, I don't know if that can it, it that can't, it's not just me, you know, that why there's so many does. But right, was that was that because you were holding out for a buck at all times or right. Yeah, it was just uh I always tried to save the doe tags for flintlock season,
0: and it didn't bother me to to eat them or whatever. It's I I was always kind of one that complained about there's no deer, and I've so it's uh uh now it's I now that I'm starting to hunt the the newer spots, just this one in specific is un unbelievable how many deer there are. I know last year in rifle season I hunted. I hunted this one area for, I think, 10 days and I saw 160 does, probably a lot of repeats. Um, but there's, there's very few places in Pennsylvania and on public ground you're going to have numbers like that. Like I was, it would, what I would see 16 to 25 does a day in, in rifle season in the daylight walking around. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. it, It was, it, it made a, it was a really tough archery hunting in there during the rut.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have expected that. And that's not something I'm used to. I mean, I think about all the different, uh, big woods pieces of land that I hunt in Northern Pennsylvania and I can't relate to that at all. And I, I've actually heard very, very few people talk about that. It, it like reminds me of, you know, hearing stories of, you know, the, the eight, the, whenever the big the boom was in the nineties or whatever, when there was such ample deer populations in, in certain parts of the big woods.
0: Right. It, it's, uh,
2: it's unbelievable
0: because there there's so many hunting camps. There's so many people that do deer drives and rifle season. And another thing to mention in that area that I saw 160 does and rifle there. I counted 12 deer drives that week in that, in that area every one of them there was shooting going on and but it there's no shortage of of deer drives or hunters or hunting camps or anything i don't know how this deer population is so good right here hmm.
2: um but it, it is it they're, they are thriving it's
0: it's pretty crazy
2: yeah talking about doing things the hard way you you brought up flintlock hunting and i know you enjoy that i enjoy that it's a it's a fun time of the year to be doing that um is that another one of those things where it's just it's a little bit uh, again it's the hard way there's an allure to that. I mean, do you enjoy that almost as much as archery hunting?
0: I archery is my my favorite thing. It, it but it's it's right there with it. hunting with a flintlock, it is it is a a blast. I've got one deer with it out of 14 times pulling the trigger over my hunting career. <laughs> it's just uh it's a fun way to hunt. It it's it's just that primitive aspect, you know, I, I also hunt with a rifle. I'm not opposed to hunt with a rifle. I do it a lot. And, but it, it's uh, hunt with a flintlock and being able to hunt three weeks of it in Pennsylvania. It's, we're very fortunate. Uh, so it's a cool way to kind of have a little edge on the deer, but not really <laughs> compared to a bow.
2: Yeah. Well, in theory you're supposed to, but it, it's one of those that a lot of people can really struggle with to, to, uh, fine tune and be proficient with what's been one of your biggest uh, biggest hurdles in in flintlock hunting just not putting a lot of powder in the pan
0: no <laughs> oh. just a, just a little bit a little bit of powder cuz i always put when i was younger i put a lot in there and flinched really bad you know just because there's a big flash and delay and everything but uh i i got my first year with a flintlock last year i was putting a drive on to my two buddies and had a it was ended up being a shed buck it was just a young shed buck um but i i got him it was like a 50 yard shot i couldn't believe it, it was all, it was a really cool experience to get the first one with a flintlock
2: yeah, I've uh, I've been real fortunate to get a couple with the Flintlock. It's it's a really fun uh, fun thing, but it's always fun again going back to the camp camaraderie thing. I always feel like Flintlock season was another time to reconvene and join with the gang, maybe make a couple pushes or hunt at camp and hunt on your own but then get together at lunchtime or or something like that and that's probably one of the things I've enjoyed about the late season as much as any because Again, you kind of take that pressure off yourself a little bit from archery hunting because you're so driven to shoot a buck and it's, it's a, it's a solo game like we were talking.
0: Right. Yeah. The, the flintlock, is, it brings that, that camp atmosphere and uh, it's a lot more re- relaxed way to hunt, you know, come back and enjoy some lunch and, and whatnot and get, get the, get the guys together for some flintlock hunting and it's just good fun. You know, if, if you get one or you don't, it, it's just a a blast
2: for sure for sure well hey we've been uh we've been rolling here for a little while i'll be mindful of your time but uh i am kind of curious though um is there anything else uh pressing on on your list for the fall outside of the deer hunting i know you said you're going out west mule deer hunting too tell me a little bit about that before we let you go
0: yeah so i've um uh this will be my third year hunting mule deer out there. I've been fortunate to take two bucks the last two years and, um, taking some of my buddies out there this year. Uh, two of that were, there's four of us going and it two, two of them. It's their first time, uh, hunting mule deer and, uh, the one he's never been West of Ohio, my buddy Nate. So it's, uh, it's going to be really cool just to see his eyes light up when we drive out there and we see, you see the mountains and everything. Um, but it, uh, we're hunting a new, a new unit that I've never, never even been in. Uh, so it's just, that's going to be a, a a learning experience, you know, but it's, it's all the same uh, kind of habitat and just same thing kind of look for with mule deer hunting and, uh, just excited to go out. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. It's become one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's, it's just a different, different style. It's just, a whole different ball game you can't even really compare it to whitetails it's just something different I, I, i'm hooked on it i'll do it every every year of my life until my legs give
2: out it's so fun mm, mm, that's fun and uh from the video and standpoint going to be trying to bring as much of that content out as possible on the hard way outdoors channel i'm assuming
0: absolutely yeah it's, uh, i've been on a little kind of break i, I put up one video a couple, like a month or two ago in alaska fishing up there and then uh Just been busy with with guiding, and now I'm finally home. So videos are going to start rolling out here from Pennsylvania and out west and in Kansas and everything. So it's getting back into the groove. Best time of the year.
2: Yeah. How often do you try to put a, a video out throughout a hunting season, or do you just put it out when you feel like you've got something that's relevant to put out? I I like to, you know, it could be one hunt, and I put the I put a video
0: out of that one day in the woods, and it could be a compilation of a couple days. I like to put out as many as I can. It's kind of just create that storyline for people that it it fills everybody in. So it's just not like, oh, I got a buck or whatever. It's just not, oh, here's this video of me getting a buck. I've really enjoyed putting out a whole storyline so I'm not just throwing footage out. And it's all just super educational. I try to make them educational and talk everybody through my process of why I do things and my successes and failures. Um, so it's, I like putting them out as as frequent as I can just to give that storyline to the viewer. And it's, it's, it's created a really cool way to do it for me. That's really enjoyable.
2: Mm. Yeah. I I tell you what, I've, I tried filming my hunts and I, I actually have filmed a couple hunts. I filmed myself shoot some deer and, and stuff like that. But it was one of those things where like filming the deer come in and you shoot it is one thing, but filming it that it's like. Something that's a really enjoyable product to watch from the beginning of the hunt to the end. Like, it just takes so much work, and it's something I couldn't ever get into. And I was like, I'd cursed the camera for the longest time. I used to have one of those. I don't don't know if you ever saw these. Do you ever remember uh, Muddy used to make those... Little camera brackets where there was a clamp that you could clamp it onto, like, a bow hanger or, like, a tree stand thing. Um, It it was very small, compact, but then it had a a, a mobile, uh, a fluid camera head on the top. Uh, I used to have one of those and I thought, well, that's a perfect opportunity to just put my little handy cam on it. I'm just going to film some deer and do that. And I broke it. And ever since then, I've never, I've, I've always like, I'm not going to spend the money for a camera arm just because I don't like doing this. And I actually got the brilliant idea this year. I took a tripod fluid head. And I cut it all, well, I unscrewed the, uh, the tripod piece and I took a Dremel tool and I, I cut, uh, I cut a slot in it that it could slip over, you know, one of those screw in bow hangers. And then I just clamped it onto that and it has a fluid head. So I'm going to be back to using it this year and just seeing, now well, maybe I'll, I'll get something on just for myself.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I've, loved, I've really enjoyed filming. It's, uh, it's, it brought me to, to and doing YouTube has brought me to meet some of my best friends. Um, the reason why I'm hunting Kansas is because of somebody I met, one of my now great friends I've met through YouTube. It's, it's like, it's been a really, really cool thing to look back on. And like, wow, I met all these, these people through it. You know, that's the, the biggest positive I've got out of it. It's just, it's really cool. And to have people just like reach out and comment or message me like, Hey, have you helped me? with this or something it's like well, oh, i can't believe i helped you but i'm glad i did you know it, it's uh it's it's been really really cool to film hunts for me over these years
2: absolutely it's a it's a bank of memories that you can revisit at any time and i think that's what's special right yeah i've used it as
0: a journal you know i've never been much to write anything down and uh so having the the videos i've literally kept it documented of every single hunt since i was like 14 years old so i have a, basically a hunting journal but it's videos
2: good deal well hey anything you would like to leave us with before we let you go oh i mean if i'll do
0: a little business plug here so i can help Please myself live Please it uh yeah, so I'm a, i own my own business here in pennsylvania i'm a fly fishing guide and or any just any kind of fishing you want to do or any trip you want to do i can help cater to that I'm um, based out of central Pennsylvania. Mostly do wild trout, smallmouth, and uh, raft floats, walk, wade trips. And uh, my, my books are... I'm doing a couple Sundays here this fall if anybody's interested in them. and uh, But mostly all through next spring and uh, into the summer a little bit. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of me for a guided guided trip here in, in central Pennsylvania, uh, my email is Colin cc at hotmail.com uh, or my phone number is 814-592-6951 or you can get at me on uh, Instagram as well at uh,
2: Hardway Outdoors. But uh, other than that, uh, that's about all I got. That's fantastic. And well, I want to have you back on here this winter leading into uh, into fishing season when things are really starting to, to gear up with trout waters and stuff because I think that'd be an awesome conversation to have with you.
0: Right. That's the whole other thing probably a dozen podcasts
2: right there <laughs> i'll yeah. talk your ear off about it. <laughs> and that's yeah. what we love because i am not the fisherman and i would love somebody to take the lead on it and uh and leave this in a couple of those conversations so we'll connect we'll stay in touch and i look forward to having you again on the show
0: i appreciate your time mitchell and thanks for this opportunity it's, uh, it's a
2: pleasure man thank you you bet you best of luck this season thank you you too